This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast with Footy 5, the new score prediction from the pools. Simply predict five correct match scores and you could win £25,000. To play Footy 5 for free this weekend, visit thepools.com. You must be over 18 and in the UK to play. Welcome to another international break edition of the Blood Red podcast. I'm your host, Christian Walsh, and joining me is our full-time Liverpool correspondent, both home and away, James Pearce. He's at home. How are you? Not too bad, thank you, Chris. Yourself? I'm not too bad, thank you very much. And uh, with me also is Theo Squires. How are you, Theo? Good, cheers, Chris. You? Yeah, I'm not too bad, apart from the fact that, let's face it, it's International Week, uh, and we sat down before talking about what we were going to talk about for the podcast, and we all just blankly stared at each other. <laughs> so uh, what we decided to do... Um, in a way to engage with all our wonderful listeners, was host a special Q&A. Uh, so I'll put the shout outs on our Twitter, at Live Echo LFC, and our special subscribers Facebook page, which is uh, the Blood Red Podcast. Just search it on Facebook. Uh, you need to, you know, it's a, it's a little bit like an, an elite nightclub. You know, we're the bouncers and you've just got to give us the wink and, and we'll let you in. Um, but if you if you go on there as well, there's some nice little conversations happening there. And we've got a whole ton of questions. So, you know, let, let's get straight to it. Uh, with Jonathan Birchall, James, and he wants to know what's the best and worst thing about working with Ian Doyle. <laughs> I can't, there's nothing. There's no positives. Um, <laughs> occasionally, he gets the bruising. I think that's probably the best you could you could say for him. I don't, have we got enough? That might be a separate podcast in itself talking about. It feels the like it doesn't it? It's a good question though. <laughs> Go on. What, what's the best thing? Go on. He, he can't. He can't even think about the worst one. What's the best thing? Come on, Phil. How long have we got for this? Silence. <laughs> Silence. My, I think my favourite Doyle trait is the fact that he, he always claims that he knew that everything that has happened was going to happen, but doesn't tell you it will happen before it's happened. So it's always, well, that was obviously going to happen. Well, you didn't say... That yeah, well, you happen, should you? be the richest man in the yeah. world. If you yeah. backed all of these predictions, you would be... Oh, I've got a positive. Oh. When you come in after a night out, you're a bit hungover for that early shift. At least he comes up with headlines for you. He's, yeah, that is. He is good as headlines. Isn't he? <laughs> he, he also makes me look less bald. True. Which is, you know, very important. We love him greatly, though, don't we? Do <laughs> if you listen, which hopefully he's not, because he gets laced every time he's not on the podcast. He's taken the international break off, hasn't he? He has. Shocking, that. Yeah. Never catch me doing Tends that. to his garden. There's petunias in the garden. See him Well, sadly not. He's, he's coming back at, this, at the end of the week. No, we love you, Doily. Uh, on to the football. Uh, John Field would like to know, what sort of punishment can we expect for Daniel Sturridge? Well... <laughs> it's very difficult to answer that at the moment, not knowing the the full extent of, of the evidence against him. Obviously, the the you know the, the FA made public last week the fact that he's been charged with misconduct. Um, you know, two elements to that. One element is the placing of bets, either directly or indirectly, and the second part is the passing on of uh, of information. I think in in their rule book, it's kind of information that, that it's not in the public domain. Which is then used for for betting purposes. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think we'll we'll know a lot more later in the week. Obviously, Sturridge has got till Tuesday evening to respond to the FA charges. Um, yeah, and I think the extent of the of the evidence, and, and obviously, um, you know, if, if he is found found guilty of it, then that will that'll have a big part to, because it's it's not one of those things that you can't just look at it and go, well, if he's done that, he will get. This X amount fine or an X amount of of bans. It, it's it, every every case since he brought these new rules, and I think in 2014, they've all been you know very different depending on the you know you think Joey Barton you know got a a, a massive ban and it was at 18 months reduced to 13 months, but that was you know, over a thousand bets over a, a 10 year period. You know I don't think we're talking about anything on on that scale. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you know, you've had players fined twenty, twenty-five thousand pound for um, for for a bet being placed on a on a on a game which you know didn't they, they weren't actually involved in. But of course, no no employee um, is allowed to to bet on any on any type of football. I think in the top, I think it spans down to the, the seven tiers than of English football. I think right yeah, down not to, just players either, like to non-league we employees. To. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it. You know, I, I think it, it was pretty clear last week that you know a, a decent chunk of the of the case against Sturridge, if not all of it, relates to 
bets placed on his move to to West Brom on loan back in January, and I, you know, I dug out an old email that I'd got from Paddy Power. Actually, the I think it was on the 28th of January, um, and, he, and he actually went on the 29th to West Brom that, that said in the space of a few hours he'd been cut from 66 to one to to five to two, I think, to to join West Brom. And of course, at that time, um, you know, there'd been a lot of talk about Inter Milan. There was an offer on the table. Um, you know, they were the favourites to sign him. Newcastle had come in for him. Um, you know, he held discussions with with them. So, you know, the West Brom interest came out of the blue. Um, so, you know, that that's what the the case largely relates to. And yeah, what what happens to him? Well, we'll only have to, you know, at, at the moment, it's it's too difficult to say. Yeah, we don't want to delve into it too much because we don't know the full details and un, until they become clear, it's not really fair to speculate. But what I will ask you is. There's a really interesting piece uh, by Martin Samuel in the Mail about how really the, the problem here lies within the bookmakers offering the odds in, in the first place. Now, let's say, this is not related to storage, let's say any football player has an offer on the table to a football club. They're naturally going to talk to friends and family about, well, should I move to this club? You know, I've been, I've been given an offer to this club or that club. What do you think I should do? You, the player then can't police what people do with that information. So you, you tell somebody and they tell somebody else and then it you know, spirals. Do you agree that there needs to be you know, a, a look at these sorts of markets or is it just part and parcel? Is it, 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 are the laws a little bit draconian in terms of you know, what's a couple of quid if, if somebody's bet on somebody to go to a new club? Or you know, what's your take on it? It's very strange, isn't it? Because especially when it's late in the window as well, these things happen very quickly. Mm. So we've had storage going from like Inter to West Brom and, that, and they are going to talk to not just their friends, the family, they're going to talk to their former teammates. Mm. Um, we had a case at Bolton last year where we signed two players from Forest on the, on the last day of the window. And when the first one signed, we made a joke, oh, the second one's going to come. And that did turn out happening, but no one had an idea at the time. Mm. So even though footballers are talking with each other, it's all very frantic. So if they're there desperate to try and get a move through just so they can play for football for a few months they're not going to have a clue what their family are doing what their friends are doing whether they're placing these better or whatever so you've got to have that human approach to it I suppose because if you're going to move halfway across the country you're going to tell your family aren't you of course and, and it's you know if somebody decides to make a little bit of a quick book out of that that's that's not the player's problem is it James yeah that, that's that's what I find very odd in this the fact, you know you, you, you're supposed to, you're saying that players aren't allowed to speak to anyone and have to go into some kind of like cocoon or live in a cave for the duration of a transfer window and it's it's it's, it's crazy isn't it obviously you know I, I guess the, the issue previously has maybe been that you know those friends and, and family and stuff maybe haven't then gone and, and placed money on it. But even, it'd be interesting to see, obviously, it's difficult, isn't it, to comment without knowing all the evidence that the FA have got. You know, if this happened in January, it's taken till November for them to, to, to hit him with the charges. So you'd have thought it, it wouldn't have got this far if if there wasn't some pretty strong evidence. But um, yeah, I do, th- I, I just find the whole, the whole business with betting and football a bit, there's a, a huge double standards and hypocrisy there, really, because you know, the, you know, the, on the one hand, you, you're telling all club employees and players, you know, you can't possibly have anything to do with betting. Is you know, it's completely out. And then every top flight club is taking money off betting companies. The cool sponsored by Betfred. Yeah, and you know, and, and you, we all see it. You know, race courses, you know, desperately trying to fill their executive boxes with rich footballers who have got plenty of money to spend and. Um, yeah, and, and even you know, just just because you, you might have you you might have heard off someone who knows a player that is likely to be going there or whatever, it's still it's still not absolutely done and dusted. You know, you look at what happened with Fakir. I'm sure Fakir <laughs> told a lot of his like you know probably I know that was in the public domain in advance, but you know, failing a medical, you know, how, you know that's that's something that you know is a is a variable that that, that could happen in any in any transfer. So yeah, it's you know obviously we've got to wait and see. Just you know whether you know the extent in terms of how many bets were placed, who they were who they were placed by. But um, yeah, I, I just I just find it all a bit distasteful, really. That you know that as you know, Martin Samuel did write a really good column in the Mail, I thought on just that, that hypocrisy of it, and just you know the fact that Liverpool uh, football football in general football clubs are so quick to take money off the bookies. The bookies also use obviously their own inside information when it comes to setting odds on everything. Um, and the issue really is the markets that they offer, um, and it just seems bizarre that um, you know what when when someone has effectively not just taken a, a shot in the dark and 
has used some information to to place a bet, then they cry foul. But it happens the other way around all the time. That you know, the you, we see it during the transfer window. That, I think one thing I find distasteful is when obviously you look at something like Skybet with with Sky Sports website, and you know the number of transfer stories that are there linked in with you know where you can actually get five to two on this happening or whatever at the moment. You just think. It's it, you know is you know there just seems something quite wrong there that you know obviously any transfer story conflict of interest yeah yeah yeah, yeah. when you know that they're they're taking bets on it you know on every every single market these days it's yeah I, I just it just it's just going to be interesting to see what happens with Sturridge just because if it is if it is just simply a case of people close to him using that information him having learned that he was going to West Brom and then placing bets you think. It's very hard, harsh to hold a player accountable for that. Sticking with storage, one final question. This is from a Wolf von Haven, uh, who is apparently in a Norwegian rock band, I imagine, with a name like that. <laughs> um, sorry if you're not Norwegian, Wolf. Um, hey guys, I know this has been a recurring topic, but Daniel Sturridge, I can't be the only one feeling like he really deserves a proper run in the team and at least regular 20 minutes at the end of the game, such as a Fulham, where we were in control but could do with another goal. So, ultimately, I think what he's asking there is, do Liverpool need a bit more of Daniel Sturridge? What do you reckon, Theo? Um, I suppose it's strange, because since the formation changed, they haven't really used him. But when you've got Mo Salah leading the line, scoring goals, adding that pace, that movement, he's not needed in that system. It's just quite funny that it's come about after Sturridge was in the best form of have seen him in for three, four years. What do you reckon, James? I mean, Phil raises a good point there, because he's all of a sudden, if it's a 4 2 3 one there... Then he's gone from being behind Roberto Firmino in the pecking order to arguably behind Roberto Firmino and Mohamed Salah. Yeah, and, and then obviously then you, you factor into that mix, you know, Shakiri with you know he, his impact. I think is obviously they're very different types of player, but that's kind of knocked Sturridge down the pecking order a little bit. The fact that we've probably seen the, the best of Shakiri in that four-two-three-one, and then by finding room for him, um, you, you know, it, it has limited Sturridge's game time somewhat. I mean. It, yeah, I think he's probably a bit unlucky that he hasn't played more in the last month or so. Um, it felt that Red Star away was a, a you know a massive missed opportunity for him, and to obviously you know, miss that that chance early on. Um, you know, when you when you're not getting many opportunities and many starts, you know that that was that was like a big chance for him that he you know he couldn't take. Harsh to judge him too much on that, just because so many players had a had such a poor night that night. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting with Sturridge because you know he, he obviously he did fantastically well to force his way back into Klopp's plans. But even when he was he was scoring goals, obviously that that amazing last minute equaliser at Chelsea, I think I think Klopp said then didn't he that he said he felt that the next challenge for him was to prove that he could play at that intensity for for longer than twenty thirty minutes and um and then you know and then obviously now with this business which I'm sure Klopp has known about for. For quite some time, you you just wonder whether maybe even that has has, has played a part in in Klopp maybe thinking that his mind isn't a hundred percent on it. But um, yeah, I hope I hope we'll see Sturridge come back strong over the next uh, month or two because you know it's such a demanding period, isn't it? I think it was a uh, ten matches between now and going to the Etihad on the third of January. You know, he uh, he'll have a part to play because I still think he's a much better option than either Origi or Solanke. Sam Williams, big fan of the show. He asks, um, simple one, 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3? What do you say, Phil? Depends on the opposition. Uh, we've seen the strengths and the weaknesses of both systems. Uh, so, depending on the players we've got available, depends which formation you go with. Um, Firmino's probably not at his best at the moment, but he's had to change his game to suit the systems. And then when you've got Mo Salah firing the goals in left, right and centre, of course you're going to play to that strength when you're not at your best on the pitch. I, reckon, I, I agree there with Theo in terms of I think the four two three one is there to control teams who are going to sit back because it keeps them keeps possession but also gets as many attacking players on the pitch at the same time. Four three three feels to me a, a, a formation now where if there's going to be space to exploit if there's counter attack, you know I can see Liverpool being four three three against every team in the top six. Probably see them against Everton perhaps as well as a, as a four three three. What's your personal preference, James? I, I like the four two three one just because I think it's in games with with that system this season where Liverpool have been at their most fluent, and I think it it seems to be the only real system that where Klopp thinks he can find room for Shakiri and the and the front three. And I think Shakiri has become so influential and his impact has been that great that I think the interesting thing now will be whether 
Klopp does trust him, say for Watford away this weekend, um, because I think you know he's given Liverpool that creative spark that they've they've lacked in a in a lot of matches. And you know, but I think I think maybe he's started what three Premier League games for Liverpool so far, Shakiri. Um, and it, it tended to be against opposition where Klopp knew that teams would just sit back and and defend. But you know, I think with his work ethic and his quality. I don't think he can be overlooked at the moment, regardless of of, of who Liverpool uh, are facing. So yeah, I'd, certainly I'd, at the moment I'd, I'd stick with the four two three one. Yeah, but Shakiri's averaging a goal in just over every ninety minutes, and that's not including that fabulous pass for Robertson against Red Star yeah. or the two against was it Southampton, which I weren't technically assist. Yeah. John Sash wants to know, following James' article the other day regarding Nathaniel Klein, this is in relation to what you wrote on Saturday about uh, the future of Nathaniel Klein. He says it's really a sad position for him. He's not done much wrong, but we've just evolved without him. Realistically, what can we expect to get from a player who was featured minimally in two years? And is it likely to be sanctioned in January to help him rebuild his career elsewhere? Um, What can you get for Nathaniel Klein? I think I was actually thinking that when I was doing that piece on Friday. I think it's quite a difficult player to put a a value on because, you know, he's had a, a bleak kind of 18 months. But, you know, you go back to... Go back before that, and he, you know, he was, you know, I, th- I think he's absolutely spot on in terms of the team has evolved and, and left Klein behind. Um, he doesn't offer enough going forward, but you know, he'd still walk into probably half half of Premier League teams. I think, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's twenty seven. What is he? He's only got be out of eighteen months left on his contract. <sighs> it's eight million, ten million. You're Do you think? I go maybe fifteen, and with the, with the Premier League inflation now. Yeah, I'm just thinking with the, 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 the contract well. quite, yeah. quite you know only eighteen months. Mm. But yeah, I think yeah, whether whether he'll go in January, I, I'm not I'm not sure. Just because I think Klopp, especially if Liverpool are right in the mix, I think Klopp will be loath to 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 trim trim it too much in in terms of just in case something happened. But you know the other side of it, he maybe will look upon it and think. Well, obviously Trent Alexander Arnold clearly the first choice. Gomez can play there if needs be, but you know, I think you've well. seen he's better in the middle. And yeah, Firmino um, is is an option too. Uh, and then longer term, you know, I think I think Liverpool have got you know high hopes for that the young Dutch lad Kajani Hoover, um, who's you know that's a, a real long term option in terms of he's a, you know, he joined the academy this summer for Ajax, but he's a really gifted right back. Um, who, uh, who, you know, I think they, they felt that was a real coup to get to get him on board. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just struggle to see a way back for Klein at, at Liverpool. You know, he, I think you only have to look at what when Klopp has decided so far this season that Trent's needed a breather. You know, he, he hasn't turned to Klein, has he? He hasn't even made the the bench for a match day Premier League uh, game since since the opening weekend. Is this a case for you of his lack of versatility hampering him because? You know, you look at the likes of you just bring up Fabinho. You've got uh, you know Gomez who can play in two positions. You've even got Milner on the pitch who, if needs be, can fill in at right right back. It feels like a, a place for Nathaniel Klein on the bench. He's only coming on to replace one player. It feels a little bit of a waste, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think even the other less versatile players, like say Moreno, um, he offers more going forward. So if Klopp really wanted to, he could put him left mid or a left wing back if he had five at the back. You can't see Clyde in that position because was it three assists you wrote in your piece? I think three Premier League assists since he's joined. Crazy, isn't it? For, considering he was there to replace Glenn Johnson, mm. and Johnson was like the opposite, wasn't he? Getting assists, but just suspect at the back. I, I mean, it's one of those you mentioned Moreno there as well. Obviously, if Liverpool need the goal to go, you know, to push forward, you can see him perhaps throwing Moreno on for a bit of just a bit of incision, a bit of pace. He's done it before in the past, but. You wouldn't do that with Nathaniel Klein. He's not no. the type of player. And if Liverpool are holding on to a lead, then you wouldn't necessarily bring on a right back because that would just completely and utterly. Number one, it's not really Klopp's style. But number two, you wouldn't really imagine him, would you, to, to, to bring on a right back to, to hold what they have? No, he brings on the centre backs, doesn't he? He'll be like a Lovren or a Matip just to get that added height there for set pieces and put uh, Gomez on the right. If you're chasing a goal, even if he wants to put on a defender, it'll be one of those two with Van Dijk going up front. There isn't really a place for Klein there at all. It's why do you need a right back? Was it uh, Jamie Carragher said no one wants to grow up being Gary Neville? <laughs> <laughs> Just basically that for him as well. Everyone wants a job to be Trent, to be fair, but you know that's a, that's a little bit different. I think yeah. Trent's a bit cooler than Gary Neville. Uh, just sticking with that, James, you know, John Sassy just adds as, as, as a second question. 
you know, what other January action outgoing do you anticipate? Origi, Markovic, etc. <laughs> Do you think Lazar will ever go? I think, <laughs> I think they'll, they'll, they'll probably clear out Anfield in about three years' time. They'll still be there, won't he? Yeah, I mean, will he go in January? I don't know. I mean, if he's, he's hung around this long. When Who's the, buying him? The, well, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, he uh, you know, it looked like he was, he'd was he finally finally departed at the back end of the summer window and then you know that collapsed at the 11th hour. Um, and now, obviously, him being out of contract at the end of the season, you, you, you'd imagine... You know, if if you're him, you know you're probably only leaving early in January if you get your contract paid up. So what do Liverpool do? I mean, it's, you know, it's been interesting that he initially, after being demoted to train with the kids at the academy, he did get a few runouts for the under twenty threes, but he hasn't played in the last few games. And you know, I think that's probably right because you know what, you know uh, what, uh, who benefits really from that? You know, he's taking the place up of a of a young lad who could do with that that match time and experience. Um, so yeah, I mean. Yeah, whether he goes in January or the summer is by the by, isn't it really? Because it's, it's going to have absolutely zero effect on what kind of fee Liverpool got, and I think they would have, they would have got three million, but even that was including the add-ons at the end of the it was Anderlecht, wasn't it? That he was on on the verge of joining, and yeah, but I think you know, even that, you know, Liverpool won't. I don't think they'll get a penny for Markovic, whether whether it's January or the or the summer. I think. Arguably, pound for pound, the worst signing Liverpool have ever made. That was literally going to be my question. Do you feel worst signing Liverpool have ever made? No, I'd say Mario Balotelli was worse. Yeah, I go along with that actually. <laughs> the only thing with Balotelli is, I just think, I think we all knew that Balotelli was like an absolutely mad signing from the start, and that it was one of them ones where it could have, you know, Rogers at the time felt I can be the one to get this fella back on track, you know, and if and then probably. You know, a little bit of the ego came into it as well. I think you know, if I can be the one who succeeded where like Mourinho and Mancini failed, then and it and it was like you know a mad gamble, but um, that you know, but we didn't really learn anything about Balotelli that we didn't already know. It was just he didn't change his ways. Whilst with Markovic, he actually arrived with like a you know a big reputation mm-hmm. as being this really talented young player who had decent Champions League experience. You know. Liverpool were like patting themselves on the back that you know, they, you know that Chelsea had been in for him and he'd been close to signing for them, even though subsequently heard that Chelsea could have had him for ten million and didn't and didn't, and then Liverpool ended up paying paying double that. So um, yeah, he's just been a, a a big disappointment. I'd have Balotelli and Aquilani ahead of Markovic actually, <sighs> just because they were signings that Liverpool had to get right and they got them very 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 wrong. With Markovic, he was always a a bit of a shot to the future, a peripheral player who wasn't always going to be in the first team straight away. With Aquilani, they needed to replace Alonso when they chose him. With Balotelli, they needed to replace Suarez. And both times, they got it absolutely as wrong as can be. Can we throw Deef in there as well? If, if you want to look at an Elka, <laughs> yeah. You know, they, they had to replace an Elka. They could have replaced an Elka with <laughs> Nicholas and Elka, um, but they didn't. They, they went for El Hadjdouf. So, yeah, it's... That's a whole problem itself, isn't it? Really, the worst Liverpool <laughs> signings. <laughs> well, I mean, we were saying about other players in January, weren't we? Yeah. I think, I think the interesting one will be: will, will it be Origi or Solanke? Because I don't, yeah. I don't think he can afford to lose both of them in January. Um, you know, I think we said on last week's pod that probably more than anyone, Solanke desperately needs a loan. Um, you know, s- scored a couple of goals for England the twenty ones, but just hasn't had a look in at Liverpool this season. So, um, but then Liverpool made it clear that they were willing to entertain offers for Divock Origi. Um, but the asking price of of twenty million, I think, will put a lot of a lot of teams off. So, um, I think I think it's similar in a way to the situation Liverpool found themselves in with Carrius and Mignolet last summer. In terms of, you know, they could they could afford to get to let one of them go, but not both of them. And then it will de- depend on what kind of offers they they get incoming. I think with Carrius, they couldn't believe their luck that. You know that they could do a deal with Besiktas, where effectively, if he played enough games, they'd they'd almost double their money on from what they'd actually paid Mines for Carrius. And similarly, you know, at the moment, I'd say a Solanke loan is probably more likely, and that Arigi stays. But you know, if if Wolves or whoever else comes in with a, a twenty million offer for Arigi, I think that a hand will get bitten off and Solanke you'll get told to sit tight till the end of the season and then with Solanke as well you've got Brewster coming back from injury so that's like young option and now we're seeing Salah up front so you don't need quite as many options there when you've got the front three all able to yeah. a little follow on from that as well to be fair is Stian Andreas Egerland Anderson uh, apologies if I've butchered your name Stian <laughs> um, 
how long before Adam Lewis replaces Alberto Moreno as backup as a at left back? Obviously, you're talking about players who might leave. Moreno's got six months left on his contract come January. Number one, would Moreno leave? And number two, Stian's question, you know, is, is Adam Lewis here to the backup throne? Yes, yeah, I think he is. I think yeah, Moreno will go at the end of the season. Again, I don't I'd be surprised if he went earlier than that. I think you know, probably in, in his interest at this stage just to see out the rest of his contract and then um you know, he's in a much stronger bargaining position as a free agent in terms of, you know, a big signing on fee and a and a decent contract somewhere else. Liverpool seem very relaxed about Moreno's situation in terms of, you know, there's no no sense of desperately trying to get him to, to pen a new contract. Um, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, read into that what you will. Um, the uh and then yeah, Adam Lewis, one one of the one of the most exciting young players coming coming through at the the academy. Um, you know, I was over in in Belgrade for the UEFA Youth League game a couple of weeks back and scored an absolutely stunning free kick. And that game's got a, a wonderful left foot. Um, and yeah, there's you know, he, he's, he's little little. It reminds me in a in a way of like a young Gerard in terms of the the, the versatility of him as well. Um, you know, the, the ability to play in centre midfield as well. Um, so yeah, they got big big hopes for him and. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with young players, they suffer you know, bad peaks and troughs and all the rest of it, and he's still got a lot to prove. But yeah, I'd, I'd have thought next preseason is a is probably you know, a big big chance for him to to show that that he he can make that step up and 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 certainly be Andy Robertson's deputy. Well, Mike Higgins asks, how wide is the gap for homegrown talent to bridge? So he's talking about Brewster and Jones specifically. How how big is that gap to become part of that first team squad? Yeah, it's absolutely vast, isn't it? I think in terms of, because I saw someone the other day saying that you know it's a joke that Rafa Camacho hasn't had a chance at right back yet for Liverpool, and it's it's it's, it's, the, it's the thing that's been keeping me up at night. <laughs> I don't know what you said. And, and like, don't get me wrong, like I like Rafa Camacho, but the the yeah the the, the gulf between Premier Two, which is what the under twenty three is playing, and the Premier League is. Is unbelievable, and then you know Liverpool are at a point now with Klopp, where you know they're trying to take that leap from being challengers to to champions, and actually, you know, winning the big prizes rather than just being involved in in top competitions. So, yeah, and and you probably get less opportunities, I think, is where in terms of there's there's a lot less patience probably in in modern football as as well. Um, you, know, you don't get kind of fifteen twenty chances at it. Um, and then you know you factor in things like obviously Liverpool going out of the League Cup early. You know that that probably hampered someone like a Curtis Jones who who may have probably would have made his debut in that competition if Liverpool had a couple more games in it. So yeah, it's it is really really tough because you know you, you you've, you've you know you've almost got to be you know maybe not world class but kind of absolutely top draw to 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 get that step up because it's not a. You know, it's not an average Liverpool team. You're trying to you're trying to burst into. You know, it's it's one pack full of elite talent from all around the world. It's more it's easier to come through, I suppose, if you're a defender because if you make a mistake, there's that less pressure on to change a game. You've got your experienced centre backs there talking you through. If you're a full back like with Sima Trent, like we're probably going to see with Adam Lewis. But say you throw in Brewster in and he goes through a few games, misses a few chances, and they're costly mistakes. Let's say cost Liverpool a title chance. There's a lot more pressure there for him to come back from that. It's interesting you say that because I think you're right about the, the full-backs, but I, I always wonder how hard it is for somebody from the academy to come through a centre-back. I mean, Nat Phillips obviously taking big strides. Jane Klopp was very impressed with him during that tour of America. But you think about the top six clubs, how many of how many centre-backs have come through the ranks in, in the last 10 years? Um, I can say Joe Gomez at the moment. Joe Gale, yeah. Uh, I'll be biased here. Rob Holden at Arsenal. Yeah. Um, he came through in a real poor Bolton team, conceding goals every week, and he's shone. Mm. So I think it just depends on the situation of the club, because the homegrown players, fans do make excuses for him, especially when the team's struggling. So it just depends how costly it is at that time. The Blood Red Podcast, brought to you by Footy5. Play today at thepools.com. James, just moving on some uh, inevitable outgoing questions. Sorry, incoming questions here. Um, there's a lot of questions. We'll start with... The F word. Um, he's been brought up a fair few times, and it's a uh, Ramon G. Uh, says, "Do you think, in private, given how selective Klopp is with targeted players, that he is likely to go in for Fakir next summer?" Well, 
Liverpool's stance has always been that 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 deal is absolutely dead in the water and won't be revisited because of the concerns over over his knee uh, and the way in which his his ACL had been been repaired and they felt there was a uh, a higher than normal chance that that it would it would go again. Um, I, th- I think the thing with Fakir is you you just wonder that there must be a point where. The, the price would come down to a to a, a stage where Liverpool would think, well, hang on a minute, maybe that is now worth the risk. Now I don't know what that what that level is, but he hasn't signed a new contract, has he? Mm. Um, Which is what Aulas was very much shouting the odds over, and yeah. he he seemed very confident that was going to happen. Yeah, so it's just that that'd be the interesting thing for me whether whether as as that contract runs down, um, whether whether the numbers suddenly are more appealing. To Liverpool in terms of the the risk factor, um, I, I don't know. Honestly, don't know the answer to that. I don't know. I, all I can say is Liverpool have always been adamant that that ship has well and truly sailed and 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 won't be revisited. But yeah, it's fair to say that Klopp was a you know a massive fan of his, and he, you know he hasn't he hasn't broken down so far this season, has he? So you know what. I wonder whether further down the line Liverpool might might decide if yeah you, know, you can understand previously what was it a fifty odd million pound mm-hmm. fee wasn't it and what probably a five year contract on say hundred grand a week um, you, so you, you know, you're, you're talking about you know what probably a seventy odd million pound commitment for a player that you think could well end up missing a year out of the next three or four years or whatever so. Whether whether that fee comes down to a degree where you suddenly think, well, it's it's worth having another conversation then, but I don't know. I still think I wouldn't be getting Fakir on the back of a shirt anytime soon. So, uh, Chelsea are the team linked with them at the moment. I suppose we can think back to the last French player Liverpool looked certain to sign, who uh, they pulled the plug on Remy. That one sort of worked in their favour. So we were in Boston that day, weren't we? <laughs> yeah. He's going to be Liverpool's new number seven. He was going to be Liverpool's new number having, seven. Having Suarez's his shirt, wasn't he? Yeah. And then that led to Balotelli, obviously. That was uh, Remy in Boston, and when the Fakir news broke, I was um, I was on Liverpool duty that day, James. I think you were on holiday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or you were certainly off. Um, and I think you might have even gone to Singapore. And um, yeah, I was about five pints deeper. Joe Rimmer's thirtieth. That's that's sobered me up very very quickly as uh, as phone calls were being made and stories were being chased. Um, that that's a day I won't forget in a long a long while. Um, the real Fakir then, let's park him for a minute, but a player who is getting talked about a lot here is Christian Pulisic. got Derek Dungan, I've got uh, Mike Higgins again, uh, and I have oh, a whole host of names, to be honest, all talking about Pulisic. But it's actually the one from Matt Teichman that I want to sort of hone in on. Any truth behind these reports of buying Pulisic and funding it by selling Fabinho? <laughs> um... No, I don't. I, I, I don't think Next. there's there's a chance that Fabinho. Will, I, I just bizarre this suggestion that Klopp will or or sell him in January. I just I just don't. You know, Liverpool have bought Fabinho for the long term, and you know we know what Klopp is like as well in terms of. You know, he, it's not like he would believe in a player that much that you'd you'd, you'd pay forty million and then within a couple of months, or out, you know, sugar. You know, we've, we've got a bit of a dud here. Can we can we get rid of him? Um, you know, he, he's there was no rush with Fabinho. You know, he made that clear from the start that it was, you know, a long term thing rather than than just a case of throwing him in and hoping for the best. So, no, I I, I don't see Fabinho going. And you know, Pulisic is an interesting one because I think a hundred percent Klopp would absolutely love. He's on the record. Would love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, there was a, you know, he was obviously the one that promoted Pulisic to the first team setup at Dortmund. Um, you know, and you know, I thought Pulisic was. I haven't seen a huge amount of him to be honest, but he was brilliant against Liverpool in pre-season when they when they met. Um, yeah, he just. You know, I think he. he you can you, when you what when you do watch, you think you know, he's a Klopp player. You can see why Klopp wants him. Uh, you know, admires him so much. And and the other thing with him, interesting, is his contract situation. I think it's only till twenty twenty, mm-hmm. isn't it? So again, you know, similar to what we were saying before about. You know, Klein and his deal running down and having an effect on the fee, you know, that that'll have an effect for Dortmund as well in terms of, you know, the, the money that they could command for him. Um, you know, obviously Klopp tried tried once to sign Pulisic uh, and had a bid rejected. Yeah, I I think I think there's a 
Let's just say I think there's a, a greater chance of Liverpool signing Pulisic than uh, than Fakir. You're a fan of Pulisic, Theo? Yeah, from what I've seen on him, the only question is how do you get him in that front three? Yeah. Um, like at least if Fakir had signed, you know he's in that midfield three. But Pulisic, I suppose, he's versatile and he can play behind the striker on either side. So there is that option there um, when you've got that competition with Shakiri or Amane. It's how do you fit him in when it's just into a new league? And we've seen uh, Sancho, his numbers have been superb this season for Dortmund. Pulisic has gone under the radar a bit, so maybe that can work in the full favour as well. Just a whole load of names. Who, I mean, it, it's mainly on Twitter. I, th- I think it's very interesting when we were saying this before we went on air, the difference between Twitter and Facebook. I think Facebook's quite sort of considered at times, and Twitter's just, I suppose, by the nature of it, you know, 280 characters, bang, bang, bang. So, you know, Jason Little says, who's on the radar come January transfers? Um, I'll throw a few names who people have tweeted at me, James. Depay, Jovic, Delight. Um, all De- of, Delight? Delict. 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 Oh, was he the young... The young Ajax. Oh, OK. Matisse yeah, yeah. Yeah. Van Dijk was talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to group these all together because I know what your answer is going to be. <laughs> January transfers, incomings. No, I, I don't think Klopp will do anything, to be honest. I think um, you know, there was the one last week when they were about the uh, reports of Dembele doing the rounds and you know, not only was the, was the response that there's, there's absolutely no intention of launching a bid for Dembele, but there's no intention of, of launching a bid for anyone in January, I think. And you know, people will say, oh, well, you know, people at the club would say that, wouldn't they, when, you know, you wouldn't want to show your hand. But no, I, 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 I just don't, I don't see it being a, a particularly <laughs> exciting transfer window for Liverpool just because you look at that squad and yeah, yeah, yeah I know people will say, well, short of an attacking midfielder, but um, yeah, I, I don't think Klopp sees it that way. And I, I, I think, you know, he, he talks and he quite often about how, you know, almost like you know, you make a, a contract with a player each summer that you know we're going to work together over the course of this season, and I, I just, I just, I just don't think you know, as we as we said last week, you know, Van Dyke was just a, a, a different case completely because Liverpool had almost you know had a had a, a five month you know punishment for the way they'd handled Van Dyke before they finally got him. I, I, in general, Klopp doesn't really dip into the market. In January, and I th- and I think he genuinely thinks that that he's got enough to to sustain a challenge from right through until May. I mean, he, he said himself when I asked him about it that something crazy would have to happen in terms of injuries or bans or whatever um, for him to dip into the market. And and I, I think that I think that's that's him being genuine. It shows how much the uh, transfer windows change things. Like um, when you've got these two slots to sign players, think back to one of Liverpool's most famous late season signings, Ronnie Rosenthal. The difference he made in that title challenge, and there's just not that option to do that anymore because of the window. Could you imagine nowadays with the richest people have? Imagine if Man City were, were lagging two points behind, <laughs> and then they just go in three hundred million. There we go. Or you know, we'll we'll lonely little messy, shall we, for for a couple of games? Uh, there's a couple of more questions then. Um, I can't even say this name. I can't. At boy better known. I can't. I'm not even going to try and pronounce your name. Sorry, K1. What did you do? Um, what's up with Manny's contract? What is up, up yeah. with it? Or? What's up with it? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, at, at the moment, it's there's not an awful lot going on with it. I, th- I think you know there was a big fo- been a big focus on it, hasn't there, over yeah. the last probably four or five months because. Obviously, Salah committed his future to the club. Firmino, um, likewise, just before that. So I think it was like, well, obviously now it will be, you know, Mane will be the one that that follows suit. And so far, that that hasn't happened. I mean, I asked Mane about it after what game was it recently? Arsenal, I think Arsenal away. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, he stopped in the mix zone and um, you know, he, he kind of he did what Sadio Mane does, just laughed and smiled and and said, it, "Did you get a hug off him this time? No hug this time. No, no." <laughs> No, the um, but no, he, he just said that he's he's happy where he is. He leaves all of that kind of thing in the hands of, of his agent. He's enjoying his football and just wants to do his, his best for the fans. It's interesting, isn't it? Just because I, the way I understand it is Liverpool opened discussions with his representatives at the back end of last season and, and just said, look, you know, we'd like, we, we, we're doing it for, obviously we've done it for Firmino, we're doing it for, for Salah. We'd like to, you know, recognise his progress with improved terms and, you know, a new five-year contract. Um, so you know, you let us know when you know when you'd like to sit down, and we'll and we'll do that. And for whatever reason, those negotiations haven't reached a successful conclusion yet. But I, th- I think it can be. I think I think it has become 
more of an issue than in the. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of people saying, "Oh, he definitely wants out." Is it because people out. on social media are saying it's been done? You know, a bit like the Firmino one, where apparently it was done and it was done and it was done, and then it happened four months later, and apparently that was proof that people were right all along. Yeah, it was done. You know, yeah. is it just people just saying it's done when it's not? I think. I think also you, you kind of look at it and you think, well. He's under contract till twenty twenty one, so it's not. It's you know, it always used to be the case that if it get if it got down to the last two years, you know, two, that that used to be when a club would would start renegotiating with a player, really, especially a player that you desperately wanted to keep. So yeah, I think I think I said to someone recently that I think I think if it if it's still if you if you you know if we're talking in like pre season next year and and it's still not resolved then then then, then I think it would be a genuine you know source of concern you know why why is it why has it not happened you know what you know, is he not happy with whatever terms are being offered or whatever but I, I think at the moment it's it's not one to be uh, unduly worried about I suppose it's just because Emery Chan's still fresh in the minds having like waited for it to go down and then walk at the end of this contract as you say two years left he's not going anywhere anytime soon no no and when you think you know what? how long was it after Coutinho signed his new five year contract yeah. he was off when they swore so it's you know it doesn't you know it, it maybe increases your bargaining position but it doesn't really doesn't mean anything really does it you know it's in the in the grand in the grand scheme of things, I don't think even Sadio Mane signing a contract today wouldn't mean that we'd see him in a Liverpool shirt for the next five years. You know, I think to keep players of that caliber, just like Salah and Firmino, who have signed you know long contracts, you've you've got to be competing for the the biggest prizes. And obviously, thankfully, under Klopp, you know Liverpool are you know, an, an attractive proposition and a place where players want to put down roots at the moment. You mentioned Mane there, and you spoke to him after Arsenal. This comes from Matthew May, and it's quite interesting, and I'm not quite sure why he's asked it, but I want to see what you think. Um, he says to James, Last season, from the outside looking in, the vibe amongst the players seems to be a very happy one. This season, I'm not sure it's the same. He says in brackets, Celebrations for goals, etc. aren't as buzzing. Being the man on the inside, apparently... And <laughs> Did my mum write this? <laughs> and seeing the lads in the mix zone, etc. Do you see any drop in the feel good factor around the players? Um, I think he's probably bit... alluding to the, the. There's the whole thing with Salah not celebrating as much as as, as he was last yeah. season. Do you know, but, you I know. think there is something in that, but I, I I get the impression that it's almost the the players a bit like the fans have almost been a bit underwhelmed by a lot of the performances this season and it I think I think it really I wouldn't I wouldn't say I think he's absolutely right that there is a difference but I wouldn't say it's because you know that the spirit or the together togetherness that drove Liverpool onto Kiev is no longer there I just think Liverpool performed at a level in the second half of last season where I think they surprised themselves and that there was this like unbelievable feel-good factor and you know, unbelievable night after night, you know, especially in Europe. Um, and I think the knock-on effect of that is this season, the, the players know, I think you're right, like, you, you know, I've definitely seen it myself after games where, not not down, but like, just, you know, almost like, you know, they keep getting one, but it's... <laughs> by, by, by you guys, they, yeah. they keep on getting an astronaut Man City, they, they've won 4-1 four, four, against Car, they've yeah. seen against Fulham, and then they never saw last questions, yeah. what about Man City? So, yeah, I think I think it is twofold, the thing is, on the one hand, there's that feeling that, you know, alright, we might have won, but we're still not playing anywhere near the level that we can, and almost a bit of frustration that it hasn't quite clicked, and then I think, yeah, the, the, other, the other side of it is that, you know, every single week, you know, Liverpool Liverpool's results up to now should really have had them you know, any in most other seasons, they'd be clear at the top. You know, I think we were talking weren't we, yesterday about two thousand and two, three under Julier, which was the only time in the Premier League era Liverpool had thirty points out of thirty six, and there were four points clear of Arsenal at the time. You know, this time around, obviously, it doesn't just doesn't feel like Liverpool have had that great a start just because of of City. Are absolutely, yeah, absolutely re- relentless. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's he's definitely spot on that there is a, a different feel to it, but I don't think. Yeah, I just think that's just because of the way that Liverpool have played and the way that City have played so far. I don't think it's. I don't think there's any need for concern in terms of the, the dynamic in the squad as is not is not at the at the same kind of ilk as we saw last season. I'd say you could turn it into a positive. There was that pressure this year, that focus to they're in a title challenge. It's a long season. You're not going to go crazy about a winner at this stage as you would do, say, March and April. 
um, the Champions League. They were just enjoying playing football. Yeah. They've gone into the competition for the first time in however long. Not expected to get to Kiev this season. It's like, oh, we are in the title race. We're expecting to be top two Champions League. You're probably saying quarterfinals at the very worst. So this time you're not getting excited because you're just focused on getting that job done until we get into the spring. I think it is also human nature, as you say, James, isn't it? In terms of, you know, we come into work and we do the, say, the, the, the transfer window months and you get to September and it's the international break and, you know, the spring out of your steps, got it's natural to have that low after such unbelievable highs, isn't it? Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, absolutely spot on. And I think Theo's right as well that the, the bar's been raised that high now that... It was the, the you know a lot of the players have, have talked about it you know that this season is about taking the final step and and actually and actually winning something so you know and at the moment they're still an absolute mile away from being in a, in a position to achieve that so yeah I, I think it's probably actually a, a, a good thing that we're, that we're not seeing you know they're not they, they I think they know that yeah they've done all right so far but the, the the room for improvement is is massive and and they'll have to they'll have to make that improvement as well if they're going to get the better of this Man City team and that improvement last year came in the second half of the season we're not there yet yeah throw this one to you actually Theo this is another one that caught my eye um, Christian Dew says um, do you agree that the mistakes that Allison has made are being downplayed too much because he's still better than who we've had for years. I can only think of one, maybe two mistakes. It's not really cost of. I must admit, I'm, I was taken aback by that. I, I mean, has Alisson made mistakes? Just less to the side. I suppose the Belgrade spilt the Schürrle shot, didn't he? Yeah, Belgrade. He went maybe with the wrong hand, although goalkeepers yeah. probably tell you that he didn't. And then there's that whole confidence that he brings to the back line now. It's um, you've seen with Mignolet, you've seen with Carius. There wasn't that confidence there, so it's not just a change in between the posts. It's the whole team. We've seen with the goal the other day, the counter-attack, it starts from him. So, yeah, he might make a mistake against Leicester where he's doing the weird drag back. He might let something in from distance that he's gone with the wrong hand. It's very harsh to penalise that when we're used to seeing Carius let one through his hands or was let, used to seeing Mingale parry something straight back into the middle of the pitch and someone's gone and put in the rebounds. It's just not anything to really worry about this time. It's a strange one, isn't it, James? I don't know where that's come from, to be honest. I mean, people, you know... By all accounts, everybody thinks Allison at Anfield is absolutely incredible, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know. I think you only have to look at Liverpool's defensive record this this season to see his impact. Now, what is it? He's made twelve Premier League appearances, kept seven clean sheets. Most in the league. The conceded um, a few goals yeah, in the league as well. So yeah, Liverpool have never had a defensive record this good at this stage of a Premier League season. So um, no, I think yeah, if you've been. I, I kind of know where he's coming from in terms of I think because he's because he's made there's been a couple of things he's maybe done which if it had been a Mignolet or a Carrius that had done that there would have been more of a focus on it but I also think I think that is also part of the reason is people know he is a class act and that it is just an occasional mistake and he is he, I think he's already shown he's a, a massive upgrade on what, what Liverpool had previously off the pitch, James, uh, this one has been asked by... Oh, Ramon J, so this is his second one. Uh, so we'll charge a double, Ramon. <laughs> um, he just wants to know about the Anfield Road development or redevelopment and where, and where that's at at the moment with the club. Yeah, well, I mean, Liverpool, again, nothing nothing new in the, in the last few months. I think uh, Liverpool had made it clear that the, the feasibility studies were, were ongoing in terms of what was going to be the best design, the, the, you know, the best way to... To go about doing it, looking to boost the capacity up to to sixty thousand uh, plus. I think, I think it will happen. I think that you know, I got told that they're very much focused on getting the training ground built, and that that is the kind of in, in terms of the, the the team of people that look after the infrastructure. That that that's the project which is dominating their thoughts at the moment. Um, and then you know, I think after that we'll see. The Anfield, the Anfield Road. I think, I think there is a there is a deadline, isn't there? I think it's in next September. I think it is in terms of planning permission. Although even that deadline's not, it's 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 kind of not as significant as maybe it looks it's in in terms of having to get get the ball rolling before then. Because I think the, the word was that Liverpool may end up building something that's so different from what they got planning permission for that they'd have to go back and get planned permission again anyway. Um, so yeah. Nothing, nothing new. I hope you know the the success of the main stand. I think you know is is kind of fueled everyone's appetite for them for FSG to crack on and 
with phase two of the redevelopment. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I don't think we're gonna gonna see that starting in in the in the short term. Finish the weightier questions here with one from Ryan Taylor. Um, Will Klopp be in danger of you losing his job should Liverpool fail to win a trophy this season or mount a serious title challenge? Go on, Phil. <laughs> uh, anyone? Anyone? Yeah. Um, I suppose it depends what we count as a serious title challenge. The forging one at the moment. Um, if you finish in third and it's Liverpool, Chelsea, City, all very close, and City just pull away at the end, you probably expect City to pull away at the end as things stand. If they're fighting for fourth on the final day against an Arsenal or a United, it's a bit tougher on Klopp. But it's been a transitional period for the club. They're moving in the right direction. I don't think they're just going to get rid of a the manager. They've got a lot of faith in after he's done so much good work on the pitch and yeah. backed him in the window. I think regardless... That was the long answer. What's the... <laughs> <laughs> that was the polite answer to this question. absolutely not a cat and L's <laughs> chance that Klopp will go anywhere, regardless of what happens between now and next May. Because you know he's the amount of credit in the bank is vast, isn't it? You know, and you know you think about you know where Liverpool were at when he came in three years ago, where they're at now. Um, you know, obviously the stick to beat him with is he hasn't won a trophy yet, but you can't. You know, we kind of had this last season, didn't we? With do Liverpool have to win the Champions League final for the season to be a success? Well, no, they don't, because they've got to a Champions League final when no one in their wildest dreams thought that was realistic, and they finished in the top four again. So, yeah, of, of course, you you want something tangible to show for it, but he's. It's ridiculous to think that you know. I remember that, but that was the big debate, wasn't it, before a board being kicked this season that you know, he has to win something. This is a season he has. You know, so, well, if he doesn't, what's going to happen? But I'm just going to lose his shoes out again. So he he, he loses yeah. it because somebody can't put a ball in from twelve yeah. yards. And you know, and also you think where where did where would Liverpool go? say say the wheels did come off a la two thousand and two three and like they did under Julier in, in that season after a, a fantastic start. Where, where, where would you go after Klopp? Sam Allardyce. <laughs> <laughs> Kerbishly. Yeah. He's, he, um, he's angling. So no, it's... He, I think, he, you know, he, he he's acutely aware that, you know, he doesn't he doesn't want to just be the blooming, the bridesmaid all the time, does he? He's sick of it, you know, the, the, the run of final defeats and, and all the rest of it. But no, he, he I think he also knows... That there's absolutely zero danger of of you know his, his job isn't on the line that doesn't doesn't depend on winning something this season because you know I think you might even have it down as one of the questions if someone said you know Liverpool could end up going unbeaten this season and not winning the league you know would that be a, su- a success you know like, yes yeah. <laughs> how could you how could you go how could you say that going the entire league season unbeaten you know you you can't how can you possibly brand that as a as a flop you know it's no, it's um, he's done a fantastic job so far. You look at, you know, how he's transformed every single area of the club. The recruitment, absolutely spot on. After you know some spectacular failures before that, um, so no, he's uh, regardless of what happens, he'll. I think, I think he'll be at Liverpool at least until his contract expires in twenty twenty two. And you look at the top six, seven teams. They only make managerial changes if the manager's lost the fan base or if he's lost the players. Both of them seem very foreign for Klopp. He's got yeah. both firmly behind him at the moment. Uh, some rapid fire questions now. Then just uh, just to finish. Then um, Prabaf and Yakan. I can't. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce this name. Akana Yake says, uh, "Who's your favourite football player?" Phil Firmino. James. Liverpool player or any any player. Liverpool player. Who's your favourite player? Oh, I've got to be Messi. Messi. Yeah. Okay. Um, the North before Christmas. What do you think of the Suarez quotes? <laughs> that's that. That's that's related to Neil Jones. Neil isn't Jones, it? formerly of this yeah. parish. The, it's, um, it's very very famous. Yeah, I uh, I managed to get someone on Twitter with that last week actually. Glenn Price decided from ESPN decided announced he was doing a Q and A, and so I did ask him what he made of Suarez quotes, and then someone oh my god, what Suarez said. And then someone else then made up a Suarez quote about how he was desperate to come back to Liverpool. And then someone else was like, oh, that's amazing news. <laughs> this is escalating quickly. Yeah. Best, best, best board is on water. <laughs> Ironically, sky sources, that, that, that is very, very sky source. Uh, Mick Jones wants to know, who in your opinion has been the worst purchase fee-wise of 2018? God, fee-wise. He's given you a hint with laughing emojis and he says it could be worth 53 million. I assume he means Fred. I hope, uh, do, I hope it doesn't mean Naby Keita. I think he means Fred. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty bad, isn't it? Fifty-three yeah. million for Fred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that United 
are where they're at because their their recruitment has been absolutely appalling, hasn't it? In terms of you think of the the money they've wasted on on centre halves as well, you know, not necessarily this year, but Lindelof. Yeah, and I actually like him at the moment. They, yeah. Bailey, and <laughs> that's the problem. It's in and out, isn't it? It's just <laughs> yeah, um, you know what a contrast between you know their price tags and someone like Joe Gomez. Indeed, I'm just uh, just just scanning here, just very quickly. Uh, what else have we got? Oh yeah, uh, Sam Carroll wants to know: um, Can James make an early uh, reveal of the Echo FC captain for the big derby? <laughs> I can definitely reveal it won't be Sam Carroll. The uh, <laughs> that's as, that's as, <laughs> that's as good as we can go at the moment. Uh, and Michael Enkawo wants to know: uh, What are you always wearing the same shirt that you wear on Twitter? What shirt have I got on on Twitter? I don't don't know. Know. It's that nice little sort of steel blue number, isn't it? Uh, no, no, this. No, you got, you got like, you got a bit of a flannel one. Haven't you? <laughs> sure, you shouldn't be allowed to wear blue. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, don't, 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 don't let the yeah, don't let the fan base see that. <laughs> uh, there was another question as well. I'm not going to ask it because it, it involved Brendan Rodgers and uh, some intimate part of his body that uh, James doesn't want to talk about. No comment. No comment. Um, so I, I suppose finally, um, last question from me here is. Um, well, I suppose a how glad are we that the international break's nearly over, and b just how big is this next three months for Liverpool? You know, is it is it season defining for you? Um, it's as big as it has been up to this point, but then the three months after that will be even bigger. <laughs> I like that. It's <laughs> very very salient. I'm just you know it's it's just quite exciting to think that there's no more international breaks, because um, it just seemed like you know you just get into it and then it's suddenly gone again, isn't it, for two weeks and. The, to, be, to be fair, the England game against Croatia at, at Wembley on I Sunday was, was decent, and I know I know Klopp hates the Nations League, doesn't he? But it has made absolutely pointless international football watchable again in terms of that that competitive side to it. And you know, so far, you know, there's, I know there's a few players who still have need to get through another game before they come back, but it's been quite beneficial to Liverpool, really. You know, you know, Joe Gomez absolutely excelling. You know, seeing Genie Wijnaldum. Um, you know, score for the Netherlands as well. So, you know, it's you know Salah maintaining his resurgence with a late winner. Score the proper Salah goal. Didn't yeah, that is, yeah. That, that's the Salah of last season. Yeah. So, you know, it's, but yeah, it, oh, it's, it's massive, isn't it? You know, when you, even even like you're right, it's kind of like the next three months or whatever. But even even that week starting away at Watford because Watford away is a tricky one. Then you've got PSG away in the Champions League, which. You know, that that is going to be a really really tough night, and then you know that you've got a Merseyside derby, and obviously Liverpool have got this unbelievable record in that fixture. But in the back of your mind, you're, you're thinking, you know, it can't go on forever. There will there will be a time when Everton do do something in the Merseyside derby. And, Sounds very doily this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean in terms of it's just it's just a huge week, isn't it? With yeah, it's massive. And and then and then obviously then you, you factor into it into that. What is it? The following midweek, Burnley, Burnley away. I mean, you don't want to go to Burnley midweek, no. do you? Well, like any, any day. But at least <laughs> yeah. that's the new uh, Stoke on a Tuesday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so. Yeah, it's just it's just massive, isn't it? I and think. Then and then it's Napoli. Yeah. Then which, it's Man United. Then it's what? Like, it's New, Newcastle's the respite. That's, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. comes on Boxing Day. It it, it really does come. This thick, is sounding thick very Phil Parkinson. Every single pre-match interview, post-match interview, every game's a big game. <laughs> yeah, it is though. Every game's a big game. <laughs> well, just because it's just because the margin for error is that small, yeah. isn't it? That's the that's the thing, isn't it? Because you know, in the back of your mind, you you're thinking, you know, you're probably, you know, if Liverpool drop, what do you reckon, four points between now and going to City on, you know, they they might not even be. Within touching distance, come come January the third, because you know the, the the bar is set that that ridiculously high. So um, the positive thing for me is the fact that they're in this fantastic position without playing particularly well, and as you you just feel as if there's so much room for for growth in that squad with you know for Fabino just starting to to to, to get into his groove. Obviously, Kaita coming back um, as well. So you know, hopefully, you know, added to that what that what you said about. The salary last season as well and truly back. It's um, you know hopefully this 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 is going to be it is definitely will be a defining period. But you know I'm confident Liverpool will, will rise to the challenge. Very very last question then. 10 p.m. January 3rd after the Etihad, will Liverpool still be in the Champions League and will they have a realistic chance of winning the Premier League title? Theo, hopefully. That's not an answer. Give me yes. Or no. <laughs> yes. Yes for both. Yeah, let's go for it. Yes, it's yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, I actually think I think Liverpool will lose away to PSG and then beat Napoli at home by two in, goals. By two goals, yeah. Yeah, Olympia I think that would be a, over again. Yeah, who's having the Gerrard moment? The um, should we give it to Fabinho. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. He deserves it. Brexit said Doyle won't yeah. be back, but there we go. <laughs> uh, Brexit said Doyle will be back actually um, on the Blood Red podcast. Uh, on Thursday, Friday, Friday, and we'll be previewing the Watford game. Um, so thanks very much for uh, for sending all your questions in today. Remember, always communicate with us on Twitter, but there's a Facebook subscribers group as well. If you type into the search bar on Facebook, Blood Red Podcast, just give us a little follow, and uh, you know there's a nice little community going on there. Nobody calls anybody else any any uh, horrible names. James has actually managed to get, get off scot free so far. Nobody's <laughs> made uh, a mockery of his face, so you know it's all all nice on there. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back on Friday for uh, when we talk about Liverpool's trip to Wofford. Take it. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.